Good morning and welcome to Tao Talks. I'm here in the Dunkin' Donuts in Liverpool, New York. And Tao Talks, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, is a faith formation program here out of the Assumption Church in Syracuse, New York. It's uh, an opportunity for Catholics and their friends to come together to learn about their faith. And today the topic of our Tao Talks, this month's topic, is baptism. Is it really necessary? Um, so I like to begin by talking about a movie, and the movie is Armageddon. And it's the story of a huge meteor that is hurling towards the earth and um, it's scaring the bejesus out of people. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the movie, um, but it was this, this, this event, this cataclysmic event that was going to destroy humankind. And we had to find a solution, right? This was barreling towards us and people didn't know what to do, but it was going to take down the whole world. And the solution was to have a cosmic-sized um, counter-explosion that would take the meteor off its course. And that's what eventually solved the problem. The Earth needed something major that could save it. And so today when we're talking about baptism, we have to go back to say, well, why, why is there baptism in the first place? And that brings us to original sin. Um, when God created the earth, the earth was whole and complete and a paradise, a place of beauty and um, integrity. And in the garden were Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve are archetypes. In a sense, they represent all of humanity. Um, I, I think we'd be kind of foolish to believe that really there were only two people on the whole planet. There were, there were these two people, male and female, represented all of humanity. And they lived a blissful life. They, were, they had a sense of integrity uh, in their relationship with God. They were at peace with God and with their environment. And at some point, they chose to put their desires above God's. They chose to have their way to think that they were God. Um, and that's exemplified in the uh, apple from the, from, the, from the tree. You know, God said, you can do whatever you want, you can have whatever you want, but this one thing you need to stay away from. And of course, they chose, no, we know better. We, we want to be in control. We want to be in charge of our own destiny. And so they ate from the apple and sin entered the world, right? And certainly it has had its effects. And, and I, I've preached about this before in my 28 years of priesthood, um, that sin has ripple effects. Certainly the Lord can forgive us. Certainly we can move on. But there are always ripple effects. There's also ripple effects of goodness and of love. But sin has ripple effects. And one of those ripple effects is what we call original sin that in, in our DNA is built in thousands of years of humanity choosing to do its own thing, uh, choosing to not follow God's plan. And so people have been uh, affected by it, which leads us to poor choices. So what, and, and that brings humanity down and brings out the worst in us. So in the face of this 
um, hurling towards disintegration, our lack of integrity, our uh, sinfulness, um, we needed something cosmic, a cosmic event that would stop sin in its tracks. And that ultimately is the cross of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus being born, and, and a few weeks ago we celebrated Christmas, we just finished with the baptism, the incarnation, God coming into our world, is a definitive step. You know, God says, I, I'm not going to be a passive spectator to this. I'm not going to allow my creation to devolve. I'm going to jump in and do something. And, and Christ comes into our world and lives our world and takes on our sins. So what does that mean? Well, some would see it as he is the ultimate sacrifice, right? Um, but uh, a sacrifice that is very different, a sacrifice of love, a sacrifice of service, a sacrifice of selflessness. Jesus comes into our world and in the face of greed, selfishness, um, self-focus, choosing our will over God's, Jesus comes in and loves unconditionally to the point where he, like a lamb, offers his life. He allows himself to be killed by faithfulness to love, by faithfulness to his unconditional acceptance of humankind. And people don't know what to do with that and they reject him and they kill him. But what we discover is that that power of love, those ripples of love are so strong that nothing can contain it, not even death. And so Jesus rises from the dead. So what happens to that is that people come to know Jesus and, and recognize what's happened and they're saying, wow, we want to be a part of that. And so we see the first disciples who were Jewish begin to take on the, the life and story of Jesus Christ and we begin to call them Christian. And people begin to be baptized um, into the life of Jesus. And when we baptize someone, we say they are, they die with Christ and rise with him. Okay. And Baptism is not something new just to Christianity, I mean that sense of washing. So water, like John the Baptist we heard in recent weeks, baptized with water. And it's a cleansing, okay? But Jesus brings that water to a deeper level. He, he uses water to cleanse us interiorly. And as Catholics, we believe that the sacrament of baptism does not just wash us on the inside, but it radically changes our DNA, our spiritual DNA. It's not just that we are made pleasing in God's sight, that we are healed at the root. What was broken in us is completely healed. We are made full of grace. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. We, we, we are the bearers of Christ, okay? We, in a way, we are returned back to our original dignity because we were always made in the image and likeness of Christ, of God. And so basically, we take away the disfigurement that sin has caused and we're returned back to our beautiful dignity. And in the early church, obviously, um, it was adults who were baptized at first. Um, after a period of testing, because you know Christianity was illegal and you could be killed, they would have people sponsor you. You know, you'd meet secretly, 
and people would vouch for you and say, you know, this this guy, this woman is is okay. She's one of us. He's one of us. It's okay. And they'd be baptized, and they would um, convert. And and the thought was, once you did that, that was it. You know, once you've had your baptism, there's no turning back. And if you sin, well, you're really messed up. So, over time, we also had the development of the sacrament of reconciliation but we'll talk about that another day so what happens with baptism um, today even though the structure of the sacrament of baptism in the Catholic Church is adult baptism that's the model it's a model of a journey of people walking towards baptism um, most times in the Roman Catholic Church baptisms are held with infants and people say well how could the child make make their own decision well it's true there isn't that sense of commitment. That's why parents make a promise. Because parents still want kids to have what's the best for their kids, right? When I, if I had a child, I'm a celibate, I don't have children, but um, Adam has children, right? You, you don't say to your children, okay, you know what? Education is really important. It'll open so many doors for you. Well, we're going to wait till you're 18 and you decide for yourself whether you want to take part of education. <laughs> no, he, he can't, right? It's, you can't waste that time. And part of growing is becoming, is learning, and you want them to have those opportunities. In the same way, baptism confers that grace, that healing, uh, that freedom from original sin that we want everybody to have. It's the best thing we can offer to someone. Why would we postpone it? Thus, the great responsibility of parents and godparents. It's, it's a pretty scary thing we're saying, this is so important, I'm going to speak for my child. I value this so much, I will commit for my child for baptism. And we commit to, to raising that child in the faith. Now, Dave, you're, you're a parent, you know, it doesn't always work out perfectly, right? We can't control our children, but we give them the best. And we trust that God works his grace in us no matter what. When God graces us, he is always faithful. God never turns his back on us. And we could turn our back, but God is always there. And God's grace is always effective. God's power never fails. It always makes a positive change. So something is happening. Something is happening in us. Even if we renounce God, God never renounces us. So God's grace is operative. But we also believe God's grace is operative in all sorts of people. You know, the Catholic Church, after Vatican II, articulated a traditional understanding that, yes, baptism is a very key thing for growing in our faith and in getting the grace of God. But God's grace is operative in the world from the beginning of time. It was the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters before creation that created the earth. And so grace has always been there. And we believe that other people of other faiths also have God's grace. Does God not operate in the Jewish community? God has a covenant with them that never, never died. God's promise to the Jewish people is effective and is present today. Is God not present in God-fearing Muslims? in people of other faiths and traditions who seek what is right, I believe and the church believes that God's grace can work in them. But they have to respond to it. In baptism, not only is God's grace working in us, but it is a guarantee of grace. 
it is then embedded in us. It's not about us cooperating with it. We know that God's grace is always inside of us, within our hearts. In a way, it's like having a credit card. You know, you could have a great credit rating, but unless you apply for the credit card, you're not going to get the benefit of it. And then once you get the credit card, you have to activate it. You know, there's a sticker on it and it says, activate this. Unless you do that, it's not going to work. God offers us grace, but through baptism, we activate it. We make it alive and we um, start living out of that grace. Now, in the sacrament of baptism, because the Catholic Catholic Church has a lot of funky liturgy, right? We do we do all sorts of stuff at Mass and in the sacraments, and we we stand up, we sit, we move. It's not by accident. It's it's something that means um, a certain movement in our faith. And so when let's say we'll talk about children, because that's what most of us are, are accustomed to. When children come to be baptized, the the presider the priest, the deacon, whoever is presiding, goes and meets the couple and the godparents and the family at the door of the church. We welcome the child. And what we do is we sign the forehead of the child with the cross of Jesus. I claim you in the name of Christ. I recognize you as God's creation. I say you belong to Christ from this moment forward. And, and, we, and the parents give the child a name. And the parents and godparents also make the sign of the cross because they're now involved in raising this child. And once we've done that, we walk into the church and we go to the main part of the church and we listen to the Word of God. The Word of God is what moves our hearts, right? It's, it's, it's in the Word of God that we encounter Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is essential. Sometimes people say Catholics don't believe in the Word of God. It is at the core of our faith. Our Mass, our sacraments, our theology are all based on the Word of God. And so we have to listen to the Word of God that burns our hearts with fire and makes us alive, okay? And so with the family, we listen to the Word of God, and then we go and pray. We pray that the child be, be free from sin, that the child be full of grace. And one more time, we ask, the, um, we have a few rituals and anointings. We, we put oil on the chest of the child as an armor plate. Um, we use a lot of oil because oil is a sign of healing and strengthening. And um, there's different kinds of oil. The oil of the sacrament is what we use to, to strengthen the child. And this mimics what's done with adults, right? With adults, this is done over, over weeks. Um, but in this case, it's more... Um, sort of compact for the baby. And then comes the moment of baptism, where we uh, either immerse the child three times in water, or we pour three times water on the child. It's an exterior cleansing that reveals a deeper interior cleansing. The child is healed of original sin. The child is made uh, a temple of the Holy Spirit and filled with God's grace. After the child has been baptized, then we do some other beautiful gestures. Again, we go back to oil and we use chrism. Chrism is the most sacred of oils. It's the oil that is blessed on Holy Thursday by the bishop like the other oils, but it has a special scent and a special grace. It is with this oil that kings and queens are crowned, right? They used to, in the traditional days, they used to pour it on the kings and queens' heads. And we do the same thing. We take this sacred oil 
that's reserved for kings and queens and we crown the child's head with this oil and we say you are a priest a prophet and a king each one of you who are baptized are a priest a prophet and a king you are royalty in god's sight it's 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 amazing and then we either dress the child in a new garment that is white to reflect their their um, their great dignity or um, they're already in the white garment and we say you know see in this white garment a sign of your Christian dignity you know may you come unstained to the kingdom of God so preserve your dignity always act with dignity and then um, and just a, a, an interesting thing is uh, if you've been to a Catholic funeral when the casket is welcomed into the church we clothe the casket with a white garment called a pall. It's a big white, like a, like a sheet or a, a blanket. It is the same garment, right? It's reminiscent of what you received at your baptism. And also when, when people serve at mass or priests or deacons are at mass, they wear a white garment under their vestments. It's called an alb. Alb is Latin for white. It is the the official garment of the Christian, not just of ministers and priests, but of all Christians. That's our official uniform, is a white garment. We got it at baptism in miniature form. Over the years, we've stopped wearing it for, for liturgy, but in theory, we should all be wearing our albs for mass. Um, but we receive it again at our funeral. And then back to the baptism ceremony, the last thing that we do is in the center of the church is a white candle, a Paschal candle, very, very big candle, that was lit from the Easter fire on Easter Saturday night. And that light is the light of Christ, the light dis that dispels all darkness, the light of hope, the light that shines brightly and that nothing can extinguish. And we ask the Godparent to take that light from the Easter candle and give it to the child. And, and in, it reflects that Christ's light is present in their life today, but it also reminds us that the Godparents are, be, are supposed to bring that light constantly to that child. And that's why it's so important when godparents are chosen that they be people that inspire the child. Yes, they need to be good Catholics and they need to practice their faith. And, you know, uh, they don't need to be perfect people, but they have to be people that inspire. Um, they don't have to be people that you're going to choose to replace you if you should die and your, and your child is left orphan. That's That was more of a custom or whatever, but Really, what it's about is people that will inspire your child to be the best person, the best Christian they can be. And then we, we go from the font and we walk to the altar uh, after the baptism. And the reason we go to the altar is because baptism is not just one step. You know, in the early church, the sacraments of initiation were one. Baptism, Eucharist, and confirmation. It was all one sacrament. And today, for pedagogical reasons, they get split up. Um, but the initiation through baptism really is leading us ultimately to the table of the Lord, where we will share in the Eucharist. Well, God will give himself to us again in the Eucharist, right? It completes that gift of self. And so we gather the family, and I usually, I mean, I'm a little bit weird. I usually, I take the baby and put it right on the altar. And, and everybody loves it, it's great for pictures, and people are like, oh, the baby's so cute, click, click, click. And I say, you know, this child is so beautiful, and our hope is that when one day this child will also come 
to share the Eucharist with us. This is, this is where we gather as a family. The altar is our family dining room table as a faith family. And we don't want to exclude anyone. We want this child to come back. And so we pray the Lord's Prayer, and then we do a blessing on the parents of the child. It's a beautiful ceremony that tells us who we are, and it tells us who this child is. In a way, I think it's baptism is important because it helps us acknowledge the reality of who we are and who the child is. This child is a child of God. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Don't hurt it. Cherish it, love it, inspire it, because that child belongs to God. It's not just ours anymore. We, we helped create it. It takes a village to raise it, but ultimately that child belongs to God. So why baptism today? Well, in a world that tells us that we're crap sometimes, in a world that tells us we're not enough, unless you have the right cologne, unless you have the right label on your, and I'm wearing a really powerful cologne right now, surprise people are freaking out. Um, unless you have the right label, unless you have the right degree on your wall, unless you have all this stuff, you're not good enough. And Jesus comes to tell us, you are good enough. And in the sacred baptism, the sacred sacrament of baptism, we discover our great dignity. So that's why I think we should baptize. It is so countercultural. It is so important to reveal who we are in God's sight and to inspire our children to be the best version of themselves, to become Christ for others. That's Tao Talks for today. We're going to continue here with our conversation. Um, check us out next month when we continue with the Eucharist, and we'll see you then. Have a great day. Bye.